Well, good morning, everyone. I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Numbers. The book of Numbers, we're going to be in the second half of chapter 24 of the book of Numbers. For those of you who are visiting with us this morning, we are going through the book of Numbers almost chapter by chapter. Sometimes we break it up a little bit differently than chapter by chapter, but we're going through the book of Numbers systematically to see and to understand God's Word more clearly, specifically what we are looking at here in the book of Numbers is the history of God taking His people, first in the book of Exodus, out of the land of Egypt. And then in Numbers, we started at the base of Mount Sinai, there in the wilderness, and the people of Israel have not yet come home to the land of Canaan. And this is the history of how God has brought His people to their homeland, the land of Canaan. Over the last couple of chapters, we've encountered a man called Balaam. Now, Balaam was a pagan prophet. He was a hired gun. You see, the king of Moab saw Israel coming through the wilderness and beginning to make their entrance into the promised land. And he wanted to stop the nation of Israel coming in to receive the promised land. And so he hired Balaam to come and curse Israel. Curse them. Impede their entrance into the land. Speak this curse over them to stop this from happening. Now we come to the fourth oracle of Balaam. The first three were all words of blessing, not words of cursing. For as Balaam looked out upon the people of Israel, he saw that the Lord God indeed was blessing them. And there was nothing that he could do to speak against that. And here now, the fourth oracle, the final oracle of Balaam, We have a word, not just of blessing, but a word that looks to the future of what God will do in and through the people of Israel. So let us turn our attention now to the Word of God in the book of Numbers chapter 24, starting in verse 14. Hear now the Word of the Lord. And now, behold... I am going to my people. Come, I will let you know what this people will do to your people in the latter days. And he took up his discourse and said, The oracle of Balaam the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is open, the oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. Adam will be disposed. Ser also, his enemies shall be disposed. Israel is doing valiantly. And one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of cities. Then he looked on Amalek, and he took up his discourse and said, Amalek was the first among the nations, but its end is utter destruction. 
And he looked on the Kenite and took up his discourse and said, Enduring is your dwelling place, and your nest is set in the rock. Nevertheless, Cain shall be burned when Ashur takes you away captive. And he took up his discourse and said, Alas, who shall live when God does this? But ships shall come from Kittim, and shall afflict Ashur and Eber, and he too shall come to utter destruction. Then Balaam rose and went back to his place, and Balak also went his way. This is God's holy word for us, his people. Let us go to him in prayer. Father God, we come to you now with gratefulness and thankfulness in our hearts that through the thousands of years that separate us from this prophecy, that you have faithfully kept your word pure. That this very day we might come to these words and have faith that they are truly your words to us, your people. May we receive them in faith. And may your spirit so apply them to our hearts that we would follow Christ Jesus as King all the days of our life. And we pray it in his holy name. Amen. The word enmity means war or conflict. Enmity means hostility, antagonism, or just bad blood. And so, for example, there was enmity between the Hatfields and the McCoys. They hated each other. There was conflict between them. There was enmity between Hamilton and Burr. And come this fall, there's going to be enmity between Tech and UVA. (laughs) Enmity. Conflict. It's all around us. There's conflict in families. We find conflict at work and in school. Siblings fight with each other. Students and teachers disagree. Sports teams will take rivalries too far. Politicians will vilify and sling mud at their opponents. Whether we are speaking of struggles between nations, families, or individuals, conflict is a part of the broken world in which we live. And yet, above all of these conflicts is one that is directing the course of history. It is a conflict that began at the dawn of humanity and it is one that will continue to play itself out until the end of this world. This conflict began when sin entered creation through the disobedience of our first parents. God's purpose, His mission, was to spread His benevolent rule over all the face of the earth. God desired to be the king of all the earth for its good and for its flourishing. And yet a rival entered the scene and drew away humanity. He tempted them to follow a different king, to follow a different law. Satan established his own kingdom. And from the time that our parents bit on the lie, the enmity, the struggle began. The stage was set for a divine conflict. Listen to Genesis 3.15 and hear how this conflict will be played out. There the Lord says to Satan, 
immediately following the fall of our parents. I will put enmity, I will put conflict, I will put war between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Enmity, war, conflict is going to exist between these two lines, between these two spiritual families, between these two kingdoms. Throughout, his, throughout the history of the world, there is going to be a battle between two kingdoms. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. A battle between God's purposes to give the world life and peace and Satan's purposes to bring death and corruption. And this battle will play itself out until the time when one man will be born of the woman who will do battle with the enemy. And though he will receive a wound in the battle, he will destroy the enemy and establish God's kingdom forever. And so the war begins. And as we read through the Word of God, we see how Satan rises up against the seed of the woman. We see him rise up in Cain's murder of Abel. We see him rise up as he seeks to kill the sons of Israel through the Egyptian Pharaoh. And now in our text for this morning, we see that Balak, the king of Moab, has risen up to oppose the people of God, to oppose the establishment of God's kingdom on earth. The prophet Balaam has been hired to curse Israel, as we said, and so to impede their advance into the land of Canaan. But again, he's only spoken blessing. And now in his final of four oracles, Balaam echoes the refrain that began in Genesis 3.15 and continues throughout the word of God. Look down at the second half of verse 14 of our text. It says, come. I will let you know what this people will do to your people in the latter days. Conflict between two peoples, between two kingdoms. This is what's going to happen in the latter days. There is enmity. There is war between these two kingdoms, these two peoples. The kingdom of God in Israel and the kingdom of darkness represented by Moab. And again, we are given insight into how this conflict will be played out. Balaam, as we saw last week, was given the Holy Spirit that he might see spiritual truth. And in our passage for this morning, we will see again the truth that victory in this divine conflict belongs to the King of Israel. You see all the other conflicts in your life. All the personal Relational, political, racial, or national struggles that you are passionate about must submit and must find resolution here. In the long run, the enmity that matters, the conflict in this life that truly matters is the conflict between these two kingdoms. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. And what we will see in our text for this morning is that to find victory over the conflict of this world, we must follow the King of God's kingdom. 
So then, what does this text reveal about following the king of God's kingdom? Well, the first thing that we see in our text is that the king that we are called to follow is a coming king. We are, fo- we are called to follow a coming king. Look at the first half of verse 17. There we read this. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. A few notes on this verse. First, we see that a king is coming. Balaam is prophesying that a king will come out of the nation of Israel. The images of a star and of a scepter are images of a royal figure. At this point, Israel does not have a king. It will be several hundred years before they have a king. But Balaam is saying a star, a king, will come forth. The second thing that we see is that this king will come sometime in the distant future. What verse 14 calls the latter days, or what verse 17 says, not now and not near. And the third thing that we see is that this coming king will arrive out of the people of Israel. The star, the scepter, the king will be a man who will be born from the line of Israel and he will come sometime in the future. And therefore... To follow this king and to align yourself with this kingdom, you must first receive it in faith. You see, the king is not here yet. He is a coming king. He is a future king. But faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Faith walks in the light of what will come in the future. And so to follow the king of Israel, the rising star of Jacob, takes faith Because he is not here yet. The kingdoms of this world are so much more tempting to follow because you receive the benefits of their power presently. Moab had a king, Balak. The people could look to him and enjoy the feeling of security and strength because of what they saw now. And this is true of any people. We want a king to whom we can look for present prosperity and life. This is why we can become so enamored with political figures. This is why nations will follow madmen. The promise of prosperity and stability now. If unemployment is low and the trains run on time, a people is willing to follow their leader and to abandon the coming king. But to follow the promised king, the king of Israel, we must wait. We must trust the promise that one day the star will rise. We must have faith that God's word is true and that the conflict will end in victory for those who give themselves over to an unseen king. But since our king is future, it means that our reward is future as well. It means that our prosperity, our consolation, our our peace, our security is in the future when the king arrives. 
You see, our quarrels are so much about us seeking to get our due now. To establish justice for ourselves now. We quarrel, we fight because we want our kingdom now. But to follow a future king is to live in light of the reality that our best life, that our kingdom is not now. The best life for God's people is the life that is coming. It is a future kingdom. And to submit to the king of Israel, we must receive him in faith and we must wait for him with patience. To submit to God's king, we must submit to him as a coming king. And the second thing that we see in our text is that we must submit to him as a conquering king. This coming king is determined to rule not only one portion of the earth, but to rule all nations of the earth. Again, look at your text starting in the second half of verse 17. There we read, It that is the king of Israel, the scepter, the star of Jacob, shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. Adam shall be disposed. Seir also. His enemies shall be disposed. Israel is doing valiantly. One from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of city. Moab. Sheth. Edom, Seir, these are all countries and cities that surrounded the land of Canaan. And this prophecy is revealing that the coming king will be a conquering king. That he will subdue the nations that are hostile that surround Israel. Now it has been noted that in a limited way, King David of Israel, who arose some 400 years after this prophecy, is the one who fulfilled it. He established the borders of Israel. He subdued the nations of Moab and Edom. And we might believe that the prophecy then ends. It's fulfilled. Yet this prophecy receives a greater fulfillment in the future. A fulfillment that will extend beyond the immediate border of Canaan and will fill all the earth. For just as Numbers 24 is an echo of Genesis 3.15, there continues to be echoes throughout God's Word on this prophecy, on this truth, on this conflict. We read in the book of Isaiah about this coming King, a very familiar passage, for to us a child is born. For to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government, and of peace there shall be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. You see, to submit to this coming king, we must submit to him as a conquering king. That is a king who will rule over all the earth. There is nowhere that will be exempt from his rule and authority. There will be no strongholds of resistance. And yet, he is coming not to rule as a tyrant, but rather he is coming to rule with justice and with righteousness. 
Goodness and mercy and freedom and love will be the marks of His kingdom. He is conquering so that His benevolent rule will spread to all peoples and to all nations. He is conquering that all other conflicts will come to an end. Just as He delivered Israel from the domain of Pharaoh to give them freedom and the inheritance of a good land, He also means to free all the earth from the rule of Satan and oppression and injustice. You see, the whole earth will one day submit to this King. And therefore, we must seek our peace. We must seek our righteousness in pursuing Him and in declaring the good news that the star of Jacob is rising, that the son of David is coming. There are so many impostors. There are so many who would come and claim that they will bring such a kingdom here on earth. But there is only one king to whom we are to submit to as the conquering king. And that is the star of Jacob, the coming king of Israel. He is a coming king. He is a conquering king. And finally, He will be and is the King of Kings. If you look at verse 20-24 through of our text, as we read through it, you saw a list of nations that will rise and will subsequently fall. And this enmity between nations we see is all under the sovereign hand of God. So for example, in verse 23, we read, And he took up his discourse and said, Alas, who shall live when God does this? But ships shall come from Kittim and shall afflict Ashur and Eber, and he too shall come to utter destruction. The Amalekites will be destroyed by the Kenites, who will then be destroyed by the Assyrians called Ashur here. And the Assyrians, they will be destroyed by Kittim, which is an ancient way of describing the western lands of the Mediterranean, places like Greece and Rome. But those two will also be destroyed. This is a theme that has played itself out over and over again. Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, they all were great nations that rose up and then they destroy, they were destroyed. And the text says that God is in control of all of it, that God has done it all. As Balaam looks to a distant future, he sees a world in which the mightiest empires will rise and fall. But one man's kingdom is different. The promised king, the coming king, the conquering king, his kingdom will have no end. He will rule over all nations and all the kings of the earth will bow to him. Every pharaoh, Caesar, emperor, chancellor, chairman, premier, king, prime minister, and president, every single one will have to bring tribute to the king of kings. For their kingdoms will fail, but his kingdom will be over all. You see, there will be no rivals. There will be no contenders. The mightiest nations will rise and fall, and in the end, only one man will remain. The one whom the Bible calls the seed of the woman, the rising star of Jacob, 
the Lion of Judah, the Anointed of the Lord, the King of Israel, the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords. And therefore, the only wise alliance in this conflict is with this coming King, the One who will sit on the throne of David, the one place to find the end of our conflict is in the kingdom of God. You see, all of our struggles in this world must come down to this. What king will you follow? Whose kingdom will you pursue? Will you look to any other person in this world to give you the relief you desire? Will you look to a political figure? Will you look to a teacher? Will you look to a mother or a father? Will you look to yourself? Will you pursue aggression? Will you pursue manipulation to win the conflict or the battle that you are in? Or will you find the resolution in the conflict of your life in the peace of the King of Kings? For in the end, the only King who can deliver is the King promised here in the book of Numbers. And therefore, we must follow Him. And yet, here's the problem. For the Word of God tells us that we have all been born into the wrong kingdom. That we have all allied ourselves with the kingdom of this world over and against the kingdom of God. That we have followed the prince of this world and not the king of Israel. For by our nature in Adam, we are citizens of this fallen kingdom. By our sin, we declare our allegiance to the kingdom of death. And by our dying, we reap in our bodies what we have sown in our spirit, enmity with the kingdom of God. For truly, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. When we look at the prophecy of Numbers 24, we realize that by nature we are of the people of Balak, not the people of Israel. We are the people of Moab, not the sons of Abraham. We are the kingdom of darkness, hostile in mind and at enmity with God. There is no neutral ground. There is no Switzerland in this world war. You can't step to the side and just say, I'm going to see how it plays out. Even as the Lord Jesus says in Matthew 12, whoever is not with me is against me. Yet this is the good news of the Gospel. For the star of Jacob has risen, and the scepter of Israel has come. And yet he came preaching, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. He came declaring, Come to me, all who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He came declaring forgiveness of sins and life everlasting. For the Lord Jesus came as the seed of the woman. He came as the star of Jacob, the anointed of God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Yet He came first on a rescue mission. He came first to plunder the kingdom of Satan, to bind that strong man and to deliver out of His kingdom 
those who would come to Him in faith. He came to open wide the gates of His kingdom so that all who come to Him, all who submit to Him, all who renounce all other kings will receive forgiveness of sins and entrance into His kingdom. Therefore, we must run to Him in faith, repenting of our enmity with Him and submitting to His rule alone. For a day is truly coming when He will come again. And we read in Revelation 11 that the kingdom of the world will become the kingdom of the Lord and of His Christ. And He shall reign forever and ever. And when all the world becomes the kingdom of Christ, then our conflict will be over. For He will wipe away every tear from our eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore. Balaam was given a vision of the mission of God. A mission to rule over all the earth with justice. A mission that is being fulfilled even now as the Gospel message goes forward. And therefore we are called to wait for King Jesus. Because He is coming. We are to submit to King Jesus in faith because He will not cast out any who come to Him. And we are to follow King Jesus. For He is the King of kings. And of His kingdom, there will be no end. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we come to You now and we ask that You would give to us faith that we might submit the conflicts of our lives, those things that, Father, so often come in. Lord, whether we've this morning dealt with conflict in our families or feel conflict, Lord, with our neighbors, with people at work, Father, even conflict in our city or conflict in our nation. Father, whatever struggles we have in our lives, we pray that the Word of God this morning would cause us to look to Christ alone as the resolution and that we would submit to Him and we would look to Him for peace in this world of conflict. And we pray it all in Christ's holy name. Amen.